We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace here with Mark Schindler and Rhett Bauer to recap last week's games and just kind of give our thoughts on the Pacers overall in this previous week. So, Mark, how's it going, man? I'm good. I can't complain. Uh, last week went really crazy. <laughs> you know, just having uh, all the games covered on top of holidays and uh, being around a limited number of family members. So uh, it's been uh, like the longest week of this past year. It conglomerated into the first week of 2021, but I, I can't complain. Things have been good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing excellent. The Pacers and IU losing yesterday did put a little bit of a damper on my Saturday uh, with the new year, but uh, and still a lot of things to be positive about. It's a new year, 2021. So, Rhett, how's it going, man? What's going on? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, watching a lot of basketball, uh, too much losing basketball on the Pacers side of things, but uh, no, doing well. All right, well, let's just start with that first game that we saw this week, which is Tuesday night against the Boston Celtics, you know, just a game that you know, you knew Boston was going to make adjustments after the Pacers won that first game on Sunday. And I think we had actually, you know, spent some time talking about it off air in a Twitter chat. But I'll start with you, Mark. What were your overall thoughts on that game? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was uh, moved one way or another. I know you mentioned, you know, they went one and two. Uh, I think there are a lot of positives you can take out of, you know, how things have went uh, over this last week. Uh, things have been kind of shifting around with the rotations and, and everything considering, you know, Vic was off on, on back-to-back, comes back for that second Boston game. Um, TJ's out now for uh, an indefinite amount of time, which is probably going to be most of the regular season. Um, you know, in that Boston game, I thought Boston just really game planned extremely well. They were able to keep Domas out of the paint, which is something we saw again yesterday against the Knicks. Um, and that's going to happen. You know, I think it's not on Domas whatsoever. He just did not have a great game when he's going to get keyed on keyed in on the way that he has, uh, you know, against the Knicks and Celtics routinely throughout the year, if he continues to, to, to play the way that he has. Um, and it's just getting other guys to, to hit their open looks because that's been an issue throughout these three games. Um, other than the one win, the holiday brothers have really not been hitting well from three. I mean, Justin shot well yesterday Aaron has really struggled shooting wise lately. Um, you know, Victor obviously did not score well yesterday outside of getting the free throw line, which we'll talk about. Um, overall, I mean, I just think we're still waiting to see this team all kind of click on the same cylinder at the same time. I don't think that the four and one start was a mirage. I just think there's going to be more bumps in the road than people maybe anticipated after having that good of a start. Yeah, Rhett, what were your thoughts on that first game? Uh, yeah, the game plan just changed so significantly, but also I feel like the Pacers did a much worse job on Tristan Thompson than what they did the first game. Um, the, the box score may look similar, but it seemed like he was getting just way too many. He had seven offensive rebounds. 
like yeah. seven out of his 10 rebounds were offensive. And so that just wasn't great. Uh, you could tell that Boston really wanted to win the game. Jason Tatum played 40 minutes. Um, but, you know, Domas was at 37, Brogdon 35. So the Pacers were having some dudes up there as well. But, um, yeah, game plan adjustments, you knew they were going to do some th- things differently and uh, just hope that we can take that and uh, make make use of it in a future matchup. Yeah, I mean, speaking on the rebounding, too, I think that is the biggest thing that stands out over the last three games. The rebounding, yep. especially, I mean, we talked about it last time we talked. I mm-hmm. put a death knell on the Pacers, I guess, by talking about how well they were rebounding on the defensive glass. And I think part of that was on TJ Warren. Because he was much more aggressive on the glass and was just positioning himself a lot better. So losing him hurts, but it shouldn't hurt enough where the Pacers are dropping from. They were top 10 in defensive rebounding in the 4-1 and start, and they're now down to 15th after three games you know that's a pretty steep drop statistically um so that's definitely something to keep an eye out on I mean Mitchell Robinson had nine rebounds yesterday and six of them were on the offensive glass and Um, four of those six were tip-ins just like right off the bat but exactly like that's going to be a problem throughout if if they're not able to figure that out moving forward well I want to go back to a point you brought up and I don't know how it kind of spaced my mind but it does feel like we've already talked about this just because this week's been forever but TJ Warren you know going out with the injury indefinitely with that foot surgery. So Aaron holiday has been getting his minutes to start and I'm not saying that that's not the right fit, but if they're going to have struggles rebounding, do we think that Aaron holiday is the right guy to be in that starting lineup replacing TJ Warren? I'll start with you, Rhett. I mean, the Pacers have just struggled rebounding regardless. Like I, yeah. it, it hasn't really mattered who's been in the lineup and I'm not sure going from Aaron to Justin or uh, Doug or you know whoever else you want to throw in there would make our rebounding that much better um, I think that third starting spot whether that be you know like I said Justin Doug Aaron it just comes down to matchup uh, if if we play somebody who has a bit of a bigger three then I can see going with uh, Doug or Justin but I don't I don't think Aaron really impacts the the glass that much versus Justin Mark, anything on that? On that note? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. And, I mean, Doug has had uh, – I was thinking on writing about it, but it hasn't really changed up a whole ton. So, um, you know, he initially started with a pretty hot rebounding start. He's never been a very good rebounder. Um, still kind of looking to see if that's that's going to keep trending up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, regardless, I don't think there's anybody on the bench other than maybe Keelan Martin who's going to come in and um, impact the glass in any direction, really. I think a lot of it just falls on – um, the bigs boxing out. I mean, Miles talked about it yesterday. He talked about how he needs to be a lot better on the on the defensive glass. To his credit, he was really good the first four or five games. He was boxing out and extremely well. Um, part of the problem too, I mean, you look at a guy like Mitchell Robinson, uh, Tristan Thompson, less so. Uh, you have the same problem with Drummond. Um, you know, if if Miles is having to play on those guys, he's kind of frozen as a rim protector and as a defensive rebounder. Uh, which is tough. You know, I saw a lot of people saying that it was Miles' fault that we lost yesterday, and I just kind of disagree with that. Uh, he got put in a very tough place. You know, I mean, Alfred Payton, to his credit, actually looked like a lottery pick yesterday. Um, I was He normally does that in February. It just seemed to happen yesterday against the Pacers for whatever reason. Um, but it, it's tough. When you're a rim protector, you're on someone who's a lob threat. You can't really come off to contest someone like Payton who – even though he's not a great driver or great finisher, he's a good enough passer where that's an automatic finish for Mitchell Robinson. But if you don't contest him, he can finish that. So it's, you put him in a really tough place. I think a lot of it should be on the point of attack defense yesterday was, was not great. Um, Pacers were kind of struggling and guarding the pick and roll a little bit. And overall, I I think it's hard to put that on miles. And um, you know, when you're kind of caught in between two guys that you can't really box somebody out, you know, it's, I don't know. Miles got put on an island a lot yesterday, and while he's good enough to make plays still, um, it's asking a lot of him. So I, I think that's kind of one of the things that I point at with defensive rebounding and um, the way that they played against the Knicks. But that's that's what I'd add on that. And again, with Keelan Martin, I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna play. But we'll talk about him too. I was he only played four minutes yesterday. Um, I, I definitely yeah. want to talk about the minutes for sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, w- when it comes to Miles in between like a lob threat like that, it just comes down to communication and like Miles has to tell, like it has to be a, a broken thing, a Miles thing, just everybody be like, Hey, when it comes to a lob threat, like I'm staying home on Robinson is like, I'll let 
Alfred Payton drive in and take a contested layup against Malcolm Brogdon versus Miles stepping up too much. And it's just an easy lob every single time. I know there's a balance for it, and I'm not saying he should just let Alfred go free, but we saw a lot where Miles stepped up a little bit too far, yeah. and maybe that might have been the communication thing. I just think that lobs have been the Pacers' struggle for – quite some time. We saw it with Larry Nance in the preseason that got a little bit better in the, in the first game against the Cavs, but uh, even Tice got a couple when we played. It's just not uh, not something that we handle very well and definitely need to get better at. Yeah, and I, and I want to go back real quick to the uh, the Aaron Holiday question of, of should he be starting with this five? You know, I think that you could really interchange him, Justin, and Doug and just kind of try different things out as the season goes on. Personally, I, I would kind of like to see Doug out there just for offensive purposes because of his ability to stretch the floor so well. And surprisingly this year, he's been incredible at making twos and getting to the basket. And I feel like, you know, this is something the Pacers are going to need more of. While Aaron has done a good job of getting to the basket throughout his career, he's not the greatest finisher, which we've talked about several times. And Malcolm, as well, is not a great finisher. But Doug, for some reason, has a has a good, you know, feel for the game around the rim, too. And he's not like a high flyer or anything like that, but he's just someone that's always cutting. And I just think having that three-point threat would really help on the offensive end. But, of course, I know there are <laughs> there is another side of the basketball that has to be played, and that's defense. And Doug is clearly not the defensive player you want, you know, out there, especially knowing that T.J. Warren was probably one of our primary defenders. So that would make more sense for Aaron or Justin to get those minutes. And if Justin can get back on track with hitting the three like he was last year or somewhere close, I think that he's the obvious start over Aaron. But – Right now, Mark, I just – I don't know. I just – I don't feel like Aaron is the right guy to start right now. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Um, I get why they're doing it. I think part of it is they just trust defensive matchups. Like, I mean, Malcolm's guarding threes for the most part. I mean, we saw in yeah. Boston he's he's guarding Jason Tatum even when TJ's in. Um, you know, he he's honestly better defending bigger wings than he is defending smaller wings or guys who are like size just because he doesn't have quite the foot speed. Um, and I think he's been better defensively this year than he was last year. Part of that's probably, you know, not having injuries. That, that yeah. definitely helps. Um, so I get having Aaron out there as, as kind of a smaller guy who can play at the point of attack and you get Vic able to roam off ball and a weaker shooter or something. Um, but I agree. I mean, I think there will be merits to starting Doug. Um, and part of the reason I would advocate for starting Doug or Justin is letting Aaron run bench units Yep, because um, I've been dis I don't want to say disappointed, but just through six games, I really thought there's been an opportunity for um, for Aaron Holiday to get uh, some on ball usage. And that really just hasn't been a thing. He hasn't really been running many pick and rolls. He's just spotting up in the corner a lot. Uh, and that's how he's been utilizing the offense. So while he is a good shooter, um, I think with the growth we saw in the bubble from what he was doing with the ball in his hands, um, granted that was as a starter, but part of that's, you know, Vic's not doing anything on ball or, or wasn't doing very much on ball, or at least not effectively. Um, I mean, yeah, Aaron right now has, he's in the bottom three percentile among point guards in terms of usage, 15.6 usage percentage is minuscule. Um, I know he's not a fantastic passer. I think he's shown flashes of being a better one than, um, we maybe would be led to believe he is. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're not going to know for sure unless he actually gets the reps to run things on ball. And so that's something I really hope to see change up. And, and at least even if he does start getting him uh, reps to actually run the second unit. Um, yeah. But right now it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say this real quick because the TJ Warren, you know, with his injury, my biggest concern right now, we don't know when Jeremy Liam is going to come back and when he comes back, how healthy he'll be. And of course, if Vic is sitting out back to backs, not sure if that's going to be a thing all season long or if it's just kind of per game basis. It's probably going to be all season. Would be my guess. So, like, when you already lose Vic and TJ, like, you're really going to be struggling in the backcourt, <laughs> you know. And, I mean, the Pacers have a good bench, but depth-wise, I don't really consider either Holiday Brothers or McDermott as, like, starters for uh, uh, an NBA team that I really want to see them out there starting a lot of games. So, that's, you know, you need Jeremy Lamb back. That's a, that's a big question going forward. But – I'm also curious because we saw this, especially last night against New York and the game against Boston, the way teams are going to start attacking Sabonis on the off, on the defensive end, making him kind of get uncomfortable on the offensive end, which is where he's been thriving. And I know even though he's not necessarily put up a ton of shot attempts in those two games that the Pacers lost, uh, I think that both teams, Boston and New York, 
made it a focal point to try and eliminate Sabonis from getting comfortable. So, Rhett, you talked about it, how Boston almost kind of built a Sabonis wall. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, so they just, like you said, I think making him uncomfortable was the best way to to talk about it because if you're going to have somebody like Sabonis who you know he wants to go left and finish with his left and you know that he – he's just going to do a very specific amount of things. I think he got, uh, I don't remember which game it was. It might've been the Cavs game where he actually went right and finished with his right hand. And it was just like a huge thing to Quinn and Chris. Cause it was like, Whoa, he just right-handed like a good defense by Drummond forcing him to go left and or forcing him to go right. He wasn't expecting it, but really if a team's going to build a wall around Domas, we can't try to just bash him through the wall. That's been that's been my frustration against the Knicks and the Celtics in the second game is like things just have to be run a little bit differently and and that kind of comes back to my uh, my overall feeling about this team and about Doma specifically is like if you have all of your offense running through him or so much of your offense running through him and teams plan for it like what do you do next We saw it fall apart in the bubble and against Miami, like we didn't have other options. And I was really hoping that Bjorkren would, uh, would be able to bring a little bit extra than what McMillan did. And, and it's only been a couple games. So maybe it's not, it definitely is too early to say, but I'm just really hoping that if we play another team that's able to set the wall, like, like we've seen that uh, we can just have something else happen with Domas and, and just, just adjust a little bit better. Yeah. Mark, anything from you? Yeah, um, I want to counter a little bit. Um, I think that it's less of a playing, I mean, using Domas too much and more of a just guys are not um, playing effectively out of it. You know, I mean, my biggest thing that I look at is yesterday. I mean, the drive game, the, the drive game was non existing yesterday. Yeah. Um, even with how well Malcolm played, he was, he drove to the rim like what, like it felt like single digit times. Um, and especially you look at what Victor did yesterday. Uh, you know, I pointed this out on, on my own podcast. He had 11 free throw attempts, which is fantastic. Uh, four of his five trips to the line came from driving to the rim. They happened in a three-minute span Yep, in the same four quarter. Four straight possessions or uh, something like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's no one who's really getting downhill, and at least in the last three games, who's been attacking consistently. And – you know, that's what's been really different with Domas this year. He's being used as a downhill attacker. I would actually argue that somehow Miles has been like the best driver on the team right now off of pumping ghosts, um, yep. which we'll talk about him too. He's been, I actually think, uh, other than Domas, probably the most in, in, impressive pacer out the gate. Um, but I think a lot of it is just a function of, of not having a lot of on-ball creation right now. Um, it's hard for, like, I think – Domas is more of just like a, and we've talked about this before. Right? I mean, Domas is a secondary player who, uh, even though he looks like a primary player on on paper, like he's bolstering everyone else and what they can do. Exactly. But right now, I just think the the getting guys moving on ball has not been uh, great the last couple of games. Um, I mean, part of that's having TJ gone, but at the same time, I think you got to find a way to get Aaron more involved in that part of the game. So just to look at the box score and the team stats for the Knicks game specifically, um, the Knicks had 60 rebounds. The Pacers had 37. So that's a plus or minus 23 for the Pacers. And then they also had, they were minus 30 in points in the paint. So like, you're not going to win there. You have no chance to win. And the fact that it was only a four point game after all of that comes down to 53 three-point attempts for one thing but then uh a huge i guess it wasn't that big but just to get into the free throw line a little bit more and actually being able to hit your free throws is 83 percent, which is one of the better games we've had this year it's just yeah. you cannot expect to win if you're going to be minus 30 in rebounds and points in the paint which again goes back to how well they did against domas yeah and that's a great point because i mean i was looking at that i was looking at it last night i was like 53 pointers and they only took 34 two point attempts i was like that's you know, not something I'd have ever seen from Indiana Pacers basketball. And I know that we're going in this new modern style and everyone's excited for it. But at the same time, I feel like 50, 50 threes is a lot of threes to be pulling up, especially if you're not, like you guys said, getting to the basket. You know, it'd be one thing if there was a nice balance. It'd be it'd be one thing if they were being successful getting to the rim. But there was just like 
zero attack game. And I, I don't know, just like it looked like the Pacers kind of were just like going through the motions yesterday for part of it. And especially towards the end of the game, like I was just kind of watching how they were running their offense and kind of like nonchalant. It almost looked like they were looking at the schedule and saying, oh, we're playing the Knicks tonight. And it's like that's how they came to the game to play. And, of course, Brogdon went off, and I'm not saying that that's how everybody played. But, I mean, you got to give credit to the Knicks because clearly they did some great things defensively to get in the way of the Pacers' success offensively. And, you know, like you guys mentioned, Alfred Payton was on fire last night, <laughs> couldn't be stopped. But there was just some things where I, I feel like the Pacers, had they came in with a different mindset, maybe would have pulled that game out and not been so Brogdon-reliant because besides Brogdon, I mean, they, besides Brogdon and Turner, they were pretty, pretty awful yesterday. So that's that's why when I look at this team, we talked about that Sabonis wall that we saw Boston building. I mean, I went through and just logged every single play that off that the Pacers ran against Boston with Sabonis involved. And I'm pretty sure he was involved in every single action on the offensive end, whether it was, you know, pick and roll, dribble handoff, or or some kind of off, off ball screen where he would then roll to the basket later. It just felt like it was very Domas heavy. And I'm not I'm not mad about that because he clearly is, like you guys said, that person on offense who gets everybody else involved. But they've got to do some more things to try to get him involved. And I think I pointed this out. There was one play against Boston in the first half where they ran like a diagonal like cut where he cut to the opposite side into the post from the high post and Victor came up. Now McConnell threw him an entry pass and he got a nice one-on-one -on -one with Thompson, but then Tatum came down and immediately double teamed him. And it's like, if you're going to run that with McConnell, that's not going to do anything because nobody is going to respect his shot from three. But if you run those similar kind of actions with a Vic, with a Doug, or with a, um, a Brogdon, then you're probably going to get a better one-on-one -on -one opportunity for Domas in the post in instead of, you know, allowing the other team to double team. So that's kind of my overall thoughts on that. Do you guys have any counters to that, Mark? Yeah, I would definitely add to that. Um, I have a couple of things. Number one, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that it was a – effort thing or you know not looking at the uh looking at the looking ahead in the schedule i just thought it was um more of a having kind of a lack of of what you needed and i i also want to say too looking at the three pointers i know especially just uh pacers fans in general tend to look at uh threes like i remember when mike d'antoni was in talks about being hired everyone was like well i don't want that guy all they're gonna do is shoot threes and blah blah blah. and like i think the more important thing is not how many threes you're taking but the process you take to get there so i mean they finish almost shooting 40 percent from three yesterday which is fantastic i mean that's that's really good um but a lot of the threes felt forced and i think that's one of the things that's different like with miles took nine threes yesterday i didn't think any of them were forced they were all open shots they were nope. in rhythm and they you let them fly with Victor, he took nine threes and like half of them felt forced. You know, coming out <laughs> of pick and roll, easily contested. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of threes that you want to cut out. So I think it's not even about how many threes you're taking. It's about where they're coming from, how you're taking them. And, you know, the, the context is so much more important than the uh, than the end result in a lot of times. Um, so I think I look at that. And th th this is just to illustrate my point. So right now, just through tracking data and second spectrum, Victor Oladipo is driving four times a game, which is uh, second on the team behind Malcolm who's driving, I believe, eight times a game. And to put it into context, um, Victor was driving almost 11 times per game in 17-18, which is, was clearly by far and away the best on the team. Um, that's a huge difference in, in what he's doing. And I think a lot of that is we're still waiting for him to get comfortable with that. And I, it's going to take a while still, I think. Um, but it was promising yesterday seeing him in that sequence to close the second quarter. Um, you know, he had nothing going. He was 0-5 from the field. And it felt like he just made a conscious decision, I'm going to attack the rim. And it worked. And it was perfect for him. I really hope that he's able to get more comfortable with his handle and his his legs so that he can do that more consistently moving forward because that's so important. I mean, the I, I think – other than Victor in the final four minutes of the, the first half, Victor was the only guy who scored other than Domas. And I think Domas only had like one score on a putback. Um, so I look at that. You need that. That's, that's exactly what was missing yesterday. Having somebody who can generate a possession instead of, you know, a contested three off of a screen when you're trying to grab a foul call. Vic is not getting that whistle. I think that there have been some that he maybe could have gotten, but at the same time, I'd rather see him attack downhill, which again, it's not necessarily on him. I think it's going to take some time for him to get there, but um, that's what it comes down to for me. Just like having um, reinstilling that, that drive game that we were seeing across the first five games is huge. Yeah. Right. Anything you want to add to that? It's kind of funny to see 
I think the NBA is adjusting to the foul where the ball handler goes around a screen and immediately pulls up for a shot and then flails and they get the call because I guess somebody put something on Twitter and it was basically Trey young was getting like 16 free throw attempts in the first two games. And the last two, he got like four. And most of those fouls were from the curl pull up screen foul call, which I personally hate, but it is a foul. I'm not a big Um, fan of it either. And so Vic definitely had, I think two of those for sure yesterday that did not get called. So I think when it comes to that, like if they're not getting that foul call, I would not be surprised if Vic just continued to the rim. But I just, I was really, really glad to see that he got 11 free throw attempts. Um, and they weren't f- like foul baiting free throw attempts that were head down, shoulder into your man, getting the contact and, and, and going to the line. But yeah, it's, it's a problem when he has 11 of our 18 free throw attempts. And the only, and Doug had one on a four point play. So like six other free throw attempts. That's that's not acceptable. Yeah, and a, and a Tibbs uh, technical foul as well. So it's right. uh, yeah, yeah. So it's I get what you're saying there, and I mean uh, that's that's kind of been the question everybody's been talking about. You know, is Victor back? And we, we saw him have a, a really great shooting night against Boston, where he just you know torched Tristan Thompson whenever they were running that pick and roll game with him and Sabonis. Like it just felt like he was you know hitting everything that he was throwing at the rim that game. And then, you know, played decent against Cleveland, not great, and then just looked really bad last night. And I think Caitlin put this out on her Twitter saying, you know, I I was hesitant to say Victor's back because it could have just been a couple small sample sizes of hot shooting. So, um, Mark, I mean, how close do we think Victor is to being back? I mean, that's the biggest question, I think, because unfortunately with TJ out, you're really going to need Victor to step up his game. I think, um, not to be the Debbie Downer, but I mean, I think it's unrealistic and unfair to expect Victor to come back and be an all-star level player uh, and fill TJ's shoes. I mean, he's he obviously has the ceiling to be a better player than, than TJ has been. Um, I mean, we've seen it before, but I just, I still think in talking to physicians and, and sports injury analysts and um just trying to understand how this is going to impact him moving forward. I really, um, I am a little bit, I, I mentioned this on my pod yesterday as well. I mean, I'm a little bit hesitant that we're, we already saw his usage spike over the last two games. He was playing really well with lower usage, uh, like lowest usage he's had since he was in OKC and his rookie year. Um, and I mean, he was thriving off that playing well off cuts. He was taking over in small spurts. But I think if we're going to ask him to take some kind of dominant on-ball usage role um, to replace some of what's missing with TJ, I'm I'm not sure that's going to be for the positive for Victor or for Indiana right now. So I guess my answer would be, I mean, it's it's not something concrete. Like, I think it could change from game to game. It just depends on how his knee is doing, um, how he's feeling mentally. Like, and especially like Caitlin was talking about, I mean, Victor had a ridiculous shooting start to the season. He already saw a regression yesterday. Um, it, it'll obviously even out, you know, as, as more games come to fruition. But, you know, I just think uh, overall, like the point is Victor was thriving as kind of like a third man on offense. And if you're jettisoning him up to being like a 1A type guy, having to create so much more on ball, uh, I just wonder – how impactful that is going to be in a positive direction um, for Indiana, for him. You know, I think that the idea is that he gets back to that, but I think it's a little soon to be putting that on him and it might be better for the Pacers to maybe lose a couple more games and try and get other guys on ball usage. Like give Aaron, like, I'm serious. Just give Aaron more opportunities. You drafted him in the first round. Uh, I, I, I think Aaron has shown the capability to be more than a spot up shooter. So uh, try and make that happen. I don't know. I, I just think just based on what we've seen, I, I, I don't want to say Vic's back. I don't want to say that he's not back. I'm copping out. Sorry, Alex. It's all right, Rhett. Will you bum so, me out here with an answer? Yeah. No, he's not back. <laughs> he's no, not. I don't think he's back, like completely back no. to 17, 18. But like, I was just getting the answer up front. <laughs> how, 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 how far percentage-wise do we think he's back? I mean, that's more of the, that's more of the question because yeah. 75, 80, I mean, it's just hard to tell. I think it's probably about 80 that, that having absolutely zero context for that and no measuring stick to what a hundred percent or what 50% would look like. Um, but I do <laughs> think that it's almost like Oladipo needs to be like 
a super juiced up role player. Yeah. Like at least to start to get back. Yeah, exactly. Know, like, exactly. Like he, the role he had in 17, 18 around that team is so different than the role he needs to have with this team. Like he doesn't need to be taking 16 shots and nine threes. Like he just doesn't, that's not, that's not what the team needs. And it, back then it probably made sense for him to miss till you make and make till you miss, you know, it's like shoot or shoot, but we've got a lot of players on this team to where you don't really need to do that. And I think that that, I mean, it comes down to minutes. It comes down to the confidence that these other players like Aaron and uh, Doug and Justin and all that have in their role on the team. Um, but yeah, I just, we can't have Vic play 37 minutes. We can't have Brogdon play 41 minutes. We can't yeah. have Sabonis play 40 minutes. That's just, yeah, you can't have it. I, exactly. And not to heart, but like, it's less so about even like having usage and stuff for me. You can figure that out, but uh, exactly. Caitlin posted on this too. I mean, yep. Tomas playing that much, Malcolm playing that much, especially Vic playing that much to me was, was, I don't want to say that it was wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm not the coach. I'm not part of the player training staff. I'm not Josh Corbeil, but to play Vic that many minutes already, and especially like the the load that, that Domas has, I mean, he's top 10 in the NBA in minutes played already. Um, he's coming off of an injury. He didn't tear his plantar fascia all the way. So that's an injury that could come back up if he injures his foot again. Yep. Um, I don't understand why they played an eight and a half man rotation because Keelan Martin may as well have not even been out there. He played well, four one, minutes. He was yeah. out there for four minutes and played one stretch. He wouldn't well, even, yep. even come out a second time. Mm. Um, so I'm personally kind of vexed on why that's happening. Well, let me just ask this because I think this question is a valuable question. We, we have a good bench when they play together. I think the bench have great chemistry together when it's a bonus with McConnell and the holiday brothers and McDermott. I think that that's a good unit and very successful but as far as depth goes are those guys we really can depend upon i mean are those guys that you really want to invest heavy minutes in well off the bench because i don't feel like any of them are i mean justin's probably the most diverse in what he can do on both ends of the floor but that's about it i just think there's the bench depth is not that great well here's how i'd counter i mean you don't know unless you're playing them mm -hmm. I mean, you're not playing them so how do you even figure out what they can do um obviously yeah practice but there's a, as AI told us, there's a big difference between practice and games. Um, well, so, if we have AI on the bench, then that's fine. But yeah, I mean, yeah. who do we have? Edmund Sumner, Keelan Martin? Well, I'd rather give Edmund Sumner 10 minutes. Let him try to do something. I mean, I yeah. think this is the point of why we brought in Nate Bjorkren, so that we're yep. not playing an eight-and-a-half-man rotation six games into the season. Yep. Um, I understand, like, that you want to bank wins early, and there are expectations. But I think at the same time, they have to be tempered down. And you have to remember, okay, we're here to develop what we have. Uh, we're going to be dealing with injuries right now. We don't know what this team is going to look like at the trade deadline. We have to figure out what the whole roster is going to look like. And, I and think you know what's really going to suck is when Jakar Sampson has to play 18 minutes a game because Domas is out with plantar fascia again. Yeah, exactly. I would have liked to see Jakar play yeah, last night. Why, why I doesn't he get some minutes? Last night. Why that, he... that was my exact point. Like, I think – Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're fine players. Like – We've seen Jakar have, you know, success playing against the Bulls. We haven't seen uh, haven't seen him have success in the bubble, you know, with no Goga. And we're not worried about him right now. We're just trying to get him healthy. I'm talking about him in the rotation. Mm -hmm. But with no Lamb as well in the rotation, like, I'm just like, this bench depth is not great. And I don't think you're going to be able – I mean, what we have to remember is Nate McMillan, the mandate was to win. I don't mm -hmm. think anything has changed as far as what – what the front office and what the ownership is telling this, you know, team, what we're going to do. So that, that's, that probably is part of the reason why Bjorkren is playing that shorter rotation, because yeah, there might be pressure to get some guys to develop, but at the same time, they want to win. And I'll push back I, on that. They have to, they have to avoid the seventh seed at all costs because they do not want to be in the play-in game. In I, my personal opinion, I, I really believe that. I don't, I, I don't, I oh, mean, that's Sorry, why, why do you think about. why do you think Oladipo is playing 40 minutes and so is Sabonis and Brogdon? Why are they playing that close to that many minutes against the Knicks? Like, no, I get what you're saying. That's what I I'm think saying, that's a like, fair point. But my point is, if they brought in Nate Bjorkren to not make the seven seed, I think that's a mistake. Um, personally, if they, if is, they wanted to keep winning, why they fire McMillan in the first place? If they if they wanted this because the players them, weren't happy, it's all about the players. Yeah, that could be true, but it, it came down from Herb Simon, right. It came so, down from Herb Simon because he wants to win still. He's not getting any younger. 
that's why they were going to pay Gordon Hayward to go into the tax. Like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he really wants to win, and we can't we can't help the fact that that T.J. Warren is is injured. Like, nobody expected this to keep him out for this long and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now you have to figure out ways to win. I'm not saying that not giving Jakar 20 minutes against the Knicks is, you know, a, I'm not saying that that's that's a, that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I agree with you guys. But I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here when talking about why Bjorken's playing this style because or this this rotation the way it is doesn't make a ton of sense to play a guy like you mentioned, Mark Sabonis, who just is recovering from plantar fasciitis <laughs> for 40 minutes a game, and he's averaging like the like the fifth or sixth most minutes per per game in the league right now. It's not something that's going to be good for your success come playoff time. So I mean, yeah, I don't I, I don't really have an answer, but I think all we can look back at is mandate has been to win for years with this organization for years but, but you're not going to win by playing your two most injury prone three most injury prone players i mean brogdon we know sabonis had the foot vic is still coming back you're not going to win long term by playing them 40 minutes a night and i think that if the front office i, I think it would be silly of them to say like hey we've got to get this win uh you know we're four and one we got to get to five and one you got to play those three 40 minutes. I just, I, I have a very hard time believing that that's, that's what the case is. And I, and if, if you want to say that, okay, you have to play Doug and Justin a lot of minutes, or you have to play, you know, you have to play miles and Domas a lot of minutes because your car is not really a backup center. Then I guess maybe that makes sense, but we have a lot of people. We have a lot of players who can play point guard and shooting guard and kind of stretch up into the three. Like that's, we have a ton of those. So to, to not have Ed get any minutes at all, to have Keelan Martin get four minutes, I just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's starting to become a trend for six games. And I just really, really hope that uh, we can adjust that before it's too late. Yeah. And I think I would add to, you know, it, it's six games. I think, I don't want to say we're overreacting, but we, we don't really know, you know, I think it's just, a, it, we're just looking at trends and everything that's going on, but it, it's been something I've been keeping in the back of my mind moving forward. And after, especially after last night and looking at how they played, it's definitely becoming something that's, that's, a, it's at least a talking point. Um, so I'm interested to see uh, what happens over this next week. Um, I mean, the Pacers play a ton of games over the next two weeks especially starting with the Western Conference road trip. And I think just the biggest point, it's not even about like winning per se. Like I think it's more in just looking at if you're being forced to play your three best players around 40 minutes against the Knicks in game six, I mean, then what are we even thinking about in terms of the playoffs? You know, like that's – it's and then the Knicks are a better team. They're a much better team than I think – than I thought they were going to be coming in. Like, I mean, I didn't think they were going to be bad, but I didn't think they were going to be this quality already. Um, but regardless, I mean, just play some of the other guys. This, but I think the biggest thing for me is just that was what was talked about. That yep. was everything that was talked about coming in. Like, they're going to play deep. They're going to play a lot of guys. So we looked at the Raptors. I mean, they routinely play 11 guys. Um, and that just hasn't been the case yet. So hopefully we will see that um, evolve over the next week or two. Yeah, and I mean, of course you guys bring up great points, and I agree with what you're saying. And maybe it's just Bjorkman trying to get his system established, and maybe he's relying on those guys to help establish it, and before he feels comfortable that he can trust these other guys to come in there and do what he's asking, you know, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. He seems very positive, and I'm sure that he's going to have to tinker with some things because injuries are going to happen, and you're going to have to get these guys some rest. But overall, you know, I'm not overreacting at all to two losses, one against Boston, who was a team that – you knew it was going to come and fight back after getting beat by the Pacers. And then the Knicks, it feels like the Knicks and the Pacers play a tough game every single year, yeah. no, no matter who the coach is. So, you know, it's just, you don't like losing to the Knicks because when Julius Randle's the best player on the Knicks roster, you know, it just kind of sucks to see yourself get an L with them, but they did beat the Bucks, and, and they've got coach Tibbs and Thibodeau's actually getting them to play defense a certain way, but they've got a chance to redeem themselves uh, Monday night against the New Orleans Pelicans. And, this is a Pelicans team that's got a really good basketball player in Brandon Ingram and someone I think Brogdon is going to have to log a lot of minutes on, uh, especially with TJ Warren out. So let's just kind of shift gears and kind of focus on this uh, upcoming game Monday against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Mark, any thoughts on the uh, Brandon Ingram matchup? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, Ingram's going to be really tough. He has continued to be <laughs> very good to start the year. Um, I, I think more so, I'm interested to see how they look against the front court. Um, I mean, Steven Adams is somebody who uh, I'd imagine uh, Domas is going to be on him, but that is, I mean, that's a tough matchup for Domas, especially considering they played together for a year. Or so um, he probably has a solid insight on Domas's game from just playing in practice. He was um, a stretch four back then. So maybe. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Don't remind me. He's, he took more threes in that one season than he has in the NBA to this point uh, with the Pacers. So take that what you will. Um, but regardless, I mean, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. Um, I, this Pels team is actually pretty good. Their offense is, has not clicked yet, um, but their defense has been really good, minus Zion. Zion has been really bad. Um, I actually have one of my friends is dropping a really good article on this tomorrow that I'll be sure to tweet out and let you guys know about. But uh, this is going to be a very tough matchup, and especially like we just talked about, you know, the issue with lob threats against the defense. Zion Williamson, great lob threat. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But outside Brandon Ingram, I mean, they're kind of a similarly built team with a lot of very small guards mm -hmm. or not even small guards, but just smaller wings, combo guards, not a ton of forward type players. I mean, Brandon Ingram is technically like, I mean, he's not their starting four, but he'll play some four. Zion's obviously a four, but I mean, just in terms of actual length and, and height, they're, they're similar to how the Pacers are built. And I think it'll be a good matchup. Right. Yeah, the the real bummer is that we match up well, except for their best player in Brandon yeah. Ingram. So, like, PJ would have probably gotten this assignment. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so now you're looking at Brogdon, I guess. I I mean, do you start? I guess you probably start Justin and put him on Ingram. I would start Justin, but yeah, I don't know if they will. Just because I mean, Ingram start Aaron, been, put him on Bledsoe. Uh, yeah, that, that could be so. But but actually, yeah. see what I'd rather do: start. Uh, start Justin and then put Vic on Bledsoe because Bledsoe is not not I mean, shooter. Let him roam. You can just yeah, you can crunch in on defense and mm, not yeah. just close out hard on him. So you don't even have to close out hard on him. Um, yeah, the the biggest thing I'm going to be looking at here is offensive rebounding because yeah. Adams and Zion are both really really good offensive rebounders. And I mean, if you don't get a body on Zion. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for, for Miles. I don't know ex exactly when, where they're going to match up. I personally would probably put Adams or put Miles on Adams just because Adams is so low usage. Like he's not, he's not a lob threat. You can keep yeah. him around the rim and just like hope that Domas can at least body with Ion a little bit, even though he's incredibly fast. So that might not work, but I'm just, it's, Ingram's going to be the story. If Ingram plays well, then I, I don't know if it's going to go well for the Pacers. Could they could they throw out some different zones? Maybe a little box and one, like like they did on just one play against Tatum with McConnell. Not saying that's the guy you put on him, but try to throw some different things. Maybe double team Ingram a little bit. Try to make him uncomfortable and force someone like Lonzo to to beat you. Gonna have to. Gonna, gonna have to do something. I think you, it's gonna be a tough matchup one on one uh, without Warren, especially when I don't really want to put Doug on him. Yeah, no, I mean, if you started Doug, I think you'd probably put Doug on Lonzo, right, out of those three, or would you put him on Bledsoe? That's that's a tough that's a tough assignment right there. Um, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, it'd probably be <laughs> easier to put on Lonzo. I mean, Lonzo's not a really – he's a good shooter, but he's not a dynamic shooter, so you don't have to worry about him coming off screens and stuff. He's also but, allergic to free throws, so. Yeah, he's not a good driver. I've been following Shamit Dua, um, writes for Bourbon Street Shots, has a really good podcast on the, on the Pels as well. Um, he's been putting out all of their drive statistics throughout the year. And Lonzo's still not driving a lot. Um, I, I really think a lot of it's just going to be kind of playing the base defense and um, really digging on the driving lanes. Yeah. What What do we think is Indiana's biggest advantage on the offensive end here, Mark? Miles. I mean, if Miles yep. is able to draw Steve Adams out of the paint, which I think he will, yeah. um, even though he's shooting 23% on the year, uh, teams are already guarding him differently. Teams are like, okay, well, we have to – he's going to shoot it. Um, and I think the shots, as we saw yesterday, I mean, three of nine is good. If he's taking if he's taking and making threes like that routinely, I mean, that's huge. I was so nervous after the fourth three clanked off, which um, I don't know if it was just on my broadcast, but the hitting the rim sounded like somebody was throwing cement blocks at a wall. Yeah, it's um, so very, very It loud. was like very – it was earth-shattering. I was like, oh, no. Miles missed his fourth straight three. I was like, oh, man, is he going to stop shooting? And he, to his credit, kept going um, and was fantastic down the stretch. Um, 
So I think if he's able to draw Steven Adams out or just force the Pels to have to do things differently on defense, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and I, and I well, Rhett, go ahead. I know you have something to say here. So. No, I, it's it's got to be Vic playing within himself and not doing what he did last game too. Like if he gets off to a slow start, just got to do something differently because just chucking threes, uh, keep going to the line, of course, but um, yeah, just can't just can't afford to go two of nine from three. Yeah, and I think Bledsoe and Ball are two really good perimeter defenders, and so they're going to have, uh, they're going to really try to disrupt what Oladipo and Brogdon are doing on that end. So, Mark, this might be a good opportunity for Aaron if he starts to try to attack the paint a little bit more. If you know, depending on who draws that matchup, you could have Ingram on Brogdon. I mean, I'm not really sure how they're going to go about defending the Pacers, depending on who the Pacers start. But of course, we know that this is going to be as another Sabonis heavy offense as well. And I'll be interested to see how Domas plays in this game going up against, I'm assuming Steven Adams will probably draw the assignment on him defensively. Yeah. Um, because I, because it's just, you know, if he's so involved in that pick and roll, do they really want Zion in that action? I don't think so. And Adams is, you know, a pretty solid defender throughout his career. So I, I think we could see something similar to what happened against Boston where, where they really do kind of over focalize, you know, Sabonis and Meg Brogdon and, and Oladipo try to figure out ways to beat them off the dribble and try to really attack those switches because if Sabonis can create separation for Vic and those guys to get them to get ball and Bledsoe off of them, you know, by setting screens, dribble handoffs, those kind of things, then you got that one-on-one pick-and-roll action, dribble handoff action against Vic versus the big, and I think, or Malcolm versus a big, and I think that's where I could see Indiana getting some advantages on the offensive end. Yep, no question. I think uh... – it, I mean, it's it's really just going to come down to hitting shots. If we could take, if we take fifty threes again, but only I mean I know we hit thirty eight percent, but still, just got to find a, find a different variation, get to the line, and uh, and just yeah, gotta, I think yeah, just collapsing up. the defense because um, they weren't collapsing the Knicks defense at all, and they just were shooting well from three. But if you have nothing else going, it, it doesn't really matter a whole ton. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just finding ways to collapse the defense, um, trying to keep. I think I'd be more willing to let Zion Williamson score than Brandon Ingram. Um, just or eh, no, I, I'd inverse that because Brandon Ingram he's taken eleven shots at the rim this year, um, so he's kind of doing a lot of his work from from mid range. Um, if you're forcing him to take those shots, granted he shoots them well, but I think you're just more likely to to fare well if you're forcing tougher shots than allowing a bunch of stuff at the rim. No, I I agree with that, and it's. It's just going to be a tough matchup. I think the Pelicans are a good basketball team. The West has a lot of good teams in it. And, you know, this team does match up pretty well with the Pacers based on how they're built. So, you know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Steven Adams extension for New Orleans, but I do know what he does bring to the table. And that is just, you know, I think he's a really smart basketball player. And, you know, having smart guys out on the court will make a difference. So as we wrap this up, Red, is there any final things you want to say, you know, uh, final thoughts on the Pacers and how they've played or how things could be looking going forward? Yeah, I got to look for the minutes and see what that's going to look like uh, for the next couple games, not just Monday against the Pelicans, but then, uh, you know, Houston on Wednesday and Jan- uh, Phoenix on Saturday um, before we get on that five-game road trip. But, yeah, it's just got to be – got to do something different because 40 minutes a night for those guys just is is not really necessary at this point in the season, I don't think. Mark, same question yeah, for I you. Can't, I can't disagree with that at all. I think – the thing that I want to keep looking for is a um, is Domas going to? I mean, I guess with both Domas and Miles, are, are they going to keep taking non hesitant threes? Because that's what really opens up the offense. I mean, I talked about it quite a bit on uh, that one against Andre Drummond. Um, I mean, Domas was out in the far corner and forced Andre Drummond to close on him because he's been taking those threes, and then he drew a foul out of that. Um, that's huge. I mean, he's improved his handle a little bit this year too. And he's, he's driving to the rim instead of taking the 16 to 18 foot shot that he used to take all the time. Um, especially with miles too. I mean, he's been instrumental in that. And if his shot starts falling, you know, like 33 to 35%, which is where I think it'll be around. I don't think it's going to end up being like with how high volume he's taking, I wouldn't expect like above the average, but that's honestly fine. Um, but especially, I mean, what he's doing out of the drive game, like his footwork is better. His decision-making is so much quicker, which is like one of the hardest things to improve in basketball. So that's really cool to see. Um, he's really just clicked and things have kind of fallen in place and are making more sense for him on the offensive end. 
Um, so I want to see that keep happening. Uh, and yeah, you know, Vic trying to get to the line more, but that's going to be a lot longer of a process than either of the other things, I think. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious to see how how Bjorkman goes about, you know, figuring out the right ways to fill that TJ Warren gap because I don't realize I don't think some fans realize because Victor played well at the beginning of the season, how big of a loss that is because there's just been so many times we've seen, even last year, TJ Warren just gets you a bucket at the end of a dead, a, you know, a dead offensive play where the, the play doesn't really give you much. You just give the ball to Warren, get out of the way, and he'll go get you a bucket. It's just kind of what he does. And right now, I don't know if they have that guy. I mean, you, you could hope it could be Oladipo sometimes, Brogdon sometimes, Sabonis sometimes, but Warren was just a bucket getter. And I think the Pacers will miss that aspect of the game, but at the same time, it's opportunities for other guys. And hopefully we'll get to see that from B-Workerin um, throughout this next couple of weeks, give some other guys some opportunities and maybe they can really shine in this new in this new era of basketball. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. I, I'm not too worried about a couple losses. I think this Pacers team is still pretty good. And it's easy to overreact to a loss and tell everybody what they, you know, tell everybody what we think they should and shouldn't do. But I think at the same time, just kind of monitor expectations. Don't freak out too much yet. And uh, the hot start is something we're not used to seeing. And so we kind of got spoiled this year getting off to a hot start and not having to crawl back from that. So give it some time. I think these guys will continue to gel together and, you know, with, with the, quality starting five like we have even without tj warren you still have three other guys in sabonis that can really just bring this team uh you know some some wins and and, and really make this team successful so that's my final thoughts and uh yeah make sure you guys follow mark schindler on twitter m schindler nba red is it is it red underscore bauer yes sir all right on twitter and i'm at alex golden nba and we will talk to y'all next week nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.